Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. Welcome to episode 10 of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. Today, we're going to talk about expectations and how our expectations guide so many of our daily actions and how we see and interact with the world. We want to begin with understanding what are expectations and how do we form them. Expectation is the belief that someone or something will achieve something in the future. Expectations are forward-looking. Expectations are the sum of knowledge from life experiences and also learned through education and other people's experiences. Expectations are our understanding of how the world should work generally. And a universal experience with expectations occurs in the form of dating. Dating is an evaluation period that begins with expectations. We see someone that we like, maybe we're attracted to them initially based on physical appearance, and then maybe we're attracted to them based on their personality. And we begin to form ideas about what our compatibility might look like. And so in the dating, realm, we are analyzing whether this person can live up to expectations of what we are looking for in a potential companion. And in dating, it's typical to present the best versions of ourselves in the courtship phase, but trouble occurs when we present a version of us that isn't exactly true to who we really are. And when you try to conform to that false self, you keep your real identity masked for a prolonged period of time, whether it's a year, three years, or even a lifetime that both hinders your ability to grow into your fullness and also to be fully known by others. And when we conform to expectations, it can breed all kinds of resentments within ourselves and lead to conflict with other individuals and people groups. And actually, I could say when we conform to expectations that are inauthentic or not true to who we are, because Brandon, as we'll talk about a little bit more in this episode, there can be healthy like conforming to expectations and then unhealthy ones, but we'll unpack that a little bit more. Uh, And so that's where our conversation is taking us today. We're going to flesh that out, what it means relationally, what it means, what it looks like when it's toxic and unhealthy, and then how we can manage our boundaries uh, to conform in in healthy ways. Yeah, uh, this is a really good topic, talking about expectations and the, basically the entitlement, I think, that we have as people. We have oftentimes uh, seen ourselves, I think, using the word should a lot. And I think it's a really hard word for me to use. It's it's hard for me to say that someone should do something. However, I think I do it all the time when I'm complaining. Like, I don't want to be treated a certain way. Someone should know how to treat me better. Someone should act a certain way. Um, The world should treat me a certain way. And the reality is that the world doesn't really owe me that much. And history doesn't really owe me that much and people don't owe me that much my parents don't owe me very much i don't owe my parents very much i don't own my own any um any any girlfriends or whatever that i've had it it hasn't i don't owe them anything i don't owe anybody anything and yet sometimes um when we're upset and when we're hurt and when people don't meet our expectations we oftentimes throw that word out you should have treated me better (laughs) and the reality is that we probably just didn't do the evaluation well enough and put ourselves in a situation that we cannot um, or do not want to hold ourselves accountable to. If should is a word that 
should be used. It should be used in the context of personal responsibility as opposed to what other one, what other people should be doing for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that when it comes to, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more around how this word expectations, you know, does fit into the overall context of the racial conversation. Should is hard. The word should is very hard, not impossible to use because people will become defensive. I think that people can really only effectively use the word should when they're talking about themselves. Now, in the context of relationships, let's just start here. You know, I have a lot of clients that will come in. They might be married. Um, Some of them are married or just in relationships trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with them. And one of the main things that's wrong with them is expectations. Uh, People come in with an idea of who their spouse should be, of what their spouse should be like. And when that person doesn't live up to their expectations, then all of a sudden people start throwing around the D word, divorce. This is not the person who I thought um, I would be married to for the rest of my life, they say. Um, You were not the person that you were when we were dating, they say. And, um, you know, the reality is that people change all the time. Sometimes people change um, and they go down a bit. Sometimes they come up a bit. Sometimes they get crazy. Sometimes they get less crazy. We all get a little crazy sometimes. I I guess especially in relationships, um, we struggle with being codependent and feeling entitled in this culture, like especially. So I don't know. I, I, I think that looking at relationships um, – romantic relationships in particular, but even friendships, very close friendships, you know, where you're trying to figure out um, sort of what you need out of that relationship, uh, what you feel like you need out of that relationship can be particularly sticky when not one person can be all of what another person needs. And we, um, we would love to put responsibility for that on someone else as if we're children. Um, And then I think another good example of that is that how many of us are looking at our parents now, um, maybe having grown up a little bit. Um, when when we were younger, we were like, man, we really wish our parents were something else. We really wish they were cooler. We wish they were something else, and or wish they, you know, would just do certain things better. Now you're older, you kind of get why they that 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 they're not superhuman. You know that you know that they weren't able to do everything for a reason. <laughs> that they couldn't um, be um, or, or or they couldn't meet all of my expectations just because they were human and my expectations as a child were just that um in a self-observed in a self-absorbed context i think that the world revolves around me when i'm a child and for some people they don't grow out of that and they think that all of their relationships and the world around them has to conform to what they think is good for them Mm -hmm. and that's not really how the world works right sorry (laughs) y'all and and that's really and i don't know you know looking back at my own experience in dating uh and some revelations I've had about myself and the world and one thing that I wish people would know especially when they get into dating is one thing that we go into is we we see this person we're attracted to them for whatever reason maybe it's their physical appearance or we just like the way they laugh and then we want to explore what a relationship might look like with that person but so often we I think set the end game as The end game is to be in a relationship with this person, to be exclusive with them, to be boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe in pursuit of marriage, Mm -hmm. but that's our end game. And so we don't really kind of enter in into dating as exploratory, um, Mm -hmm. I don't think. And so, or maybe we do, but I think we can also get into the trap of saying, if that's the end goal, then I'm going to be compliant to who I think you are looking for. So if you are looking for this type of person, 
and I really want to be in a relationship with you, I'm going to maybe forfeit parts of myself that are compliant to and align with what that is so that you will continue to date me, you will continue to pursue me. And then that can, as I said in the intro, kind of lead to some problems. And we do that in all aspects of our lives. We do that, we can take that into the workplace, we can take that, as you mentioned, into friendships, and that can breed all kinds of resentment. So a fear for me now in, in looking into getting into relationships with people, whether romantically or just friendships, is, and this is something I have to kind of get over, because I could see that I did it in, my, in the past myself, uh, one big fear I have is that people aren't going to be authentic, that they might be trying to be compliant and, uh, and mold themselves, shape themselves into someone who they think I want them to be. And I, you know, the biggest thing for me is I want everyone to live authentically. I want you to be who you are. And if we don't gel, if we don't jive, then that's fine. You know, we don't have to be friends. And if we aren't building each other up, and I think that that's the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate end game or should be, um, if we aren't doing that, then that's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with everybody doesn't have to like me. No, no, not everyone. Um, though I'm sure that would be great <laughs> if yeah. everyone like. Actually, I'm not so sure how great that is, but um, it, haters have a point in life. Um, <laughs> if you don't have any haters, then you're not really growing, I, I guess. But um, yeah, I I think your point is well said, um, and especially you know when it comes to um, wondering whether or not someone is authentic. As a, is even like authentic in how they think about you. And sometimes, you know, we do think that if a person meets our expectations, what, what we're really measuring, what we're trying to measure um, is a level of authenticity in a person, rather more to the point we want people to authentically want us. We want them to honestly want us and not leave. Mm-hmm. We, we want people that if they meet a, a, cerber- a, a certain rubric um, of connection or interaction with us, then that gives us security in the fact that they'll not leave and that they are who I want them to and that I won't hate them in 20 years or I won't, that, 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 that they'll be a consistent partner, someone that I can trust and lean on, that I can be myself with. And, and unfortunately, that's just not how it happens. You know, if, if, if people are, um, you know, sort of what I call living beyond their, their, their means spiritually and emotionally, then people will conform, you know, to um, just being who you think, um, you know, they want you to be or, you know, whatever. You're like, you will literally give away parts of yourself mm-hmm. to not be in conflict or not to create conflict that puts this other person in a position where they still have to choose you as you are, imperfect, um, in process, um, healed in some ways, but in the process of healing in other ways, and also unrevealed in areas of our lives where we still need to be healed. And understanding that that person is going through the same thing but it's still up to them to choose us. It's not up to us to try and manipulate and control um, what their reaction, what their response is going to be simply through compliance. That is, um, uh, that is another level of manipulation that gets us all into trouble, and we do that out of fear. Mm-hmm. And we talked about reputation last week and how people can change. And, and this is kind of tied into expectations, right? If someone has a certain reputation, our expectations of them is XYZ based on past performances. Uh, but we also have to understand that if I myself can change, or maybe if you don't see yourself that dynamic, maybe you do see yourself as a static character, and that is probably living out of a, a, a bit of a place of unhealthiness. And so are you projecting, if you see yourself as static and unchanging, are you projecting that onto someone else and saying that their inability to change? And I don't think that we ever really change out of a core 
our core selves. Like I think that there's parts of us that will never change. Like there's parts of me that are, we're all multifaceted, of course, and we have contradictions within ourselves, but there are still elements if we're being authentic. Nobody's going to be completely just surprised. Like this came out of left field. Like maybe they're, you know, if someone cheats on a spouse, we say, oh man, that is completely unlike them. And you see in the Me Too movement, if people have allegations of sexual misconduct, we'll say, oh man, we bring in character uh, uh, character judgments and or uh, character witnesses and these character witnesses say things like we see that all the time like oh that is completely unlike that person i can't believe that to be true and it could be true or it could not be true based on your understanding of that person because they were being unauthentic and they were masking certain parts of themselves uh and so if we had a greater understanding a holistic understanding and uh, completely knew someone then we might say okay well that's kind of typical um but I don't know where actually, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, but. no, I, I think that's it. I mean, I think that that gets into sort of a, an overarching theme of just like conforming, you know, to people. And, you know, um, Brene Brown talks a lot about fitting in versus belonging. And fitting in does require us to conform to what other people want of us. And so many of us do that without recognizing it most of the time. And what do we lose when we do that? We do lose a measure of who we are. You know, we, we, we lose um, or, or we give up. We, we surrender, you know, um, um, parts of our authenticity. And it's not real vulnerability in relationships. People don't actually get the chance to accept us for who we are when we're conforming to what we think they want. Um, and sometimes people are very clear that, I, that they don't want to be in relationship with us <laughs> unless, they, unless we actually are compliant. And, um, and instead of separating ourselves from those people and saying that's not the kind of relationship I want to be in we will sometimes stay in it out of fear um, out of um, fear of rejection out of fear of being alone and I think anyone that tells you they're not going through that on some level is honestly you know anyway they're lying um, and I mean it they're probably lying and um, I think that the alternative to, to that then is um, is getting into relationships where you can be yourself and experience belonging. And that's not to say that expectations disappear. It's that our expectations and maturity can be negotiated. And we enter into contracts with people in our relationships with them where each person agrees to come in line with the kind of person that they are so that they don't have to comply to our expectations of them and we don't have to comply to their expectations of us. We enter into um, a conversation that says, you know what, I really enjoyed this kind of interaction with you. Can I have more of that? Mm -hmm. What is too much of that interaction? Maybe it's physical touch. Maybe it's talking. Maybe it's because some of us can overtalk. None of us on this side of the of the microphone, of course, um, can talk too much. Um, and some friends that I want to be with don't want to talk as much. And so they'll let me talk, but there are some boundaries. I, ha I have to negotiate that. Mm -hmm. And when I negotiate it, it lets the other person know that I accept them as they are. And I also feel that they're willing to go the extra mile to create space for me the way that I am. Mm -hmm. And that is a negotiation. And I think to your point, Mark, you know, some things are built into our personality. I think it's genetics, it's environment together. And then some things are truly psychology. It's, it's uh, 
you know, our, the, some of our experiences, sometimes traumatic experiences, sometimes things that have happened to us consistently over time that cause us to think that the world works in a certain way and that I work within that world in a certain way. And the two of those things working together are powerful forces, um, but ultimately leading us to these, these two choices. Am I going to conform um, or, am I, or am I going to be transformed in a sense and be my true self in order to enter in, into genuine relationships with other people um, that are transformative and for the common good. Yeah. And there's, there's always, at least this is where I kind of find myself, like where do you give, uh, you know, if I'm not really in the mood to talk or uh, maybe I'm just exhausted, and but I have a friend who's like reaching out because they really need to unpack some things, unload some things. You know, where like I'm very kind of protective about, I'm an introvert, and so I'm very protective about alone time and man i just need to this rest um and i'm always having to make kind of judgments about okay where can i give and like where where do i really need to rest and when i when i've identified man i'm just exhausted and i need to rest i'm going to be useless to you as a person if i don't get this rest um and i'm going to be useless to the people that i have to meet with tomorrow or you know if i have to go to work tomorrow i'm going to be useless there so i really have to protect like me time mm-hmm. sure. um and and then that also so if if someone reaches out and they want to talk they also have to understand that like you know i'm just not in that mode right now you know for example and and i'm using talking because i'm i'm an introvert and and not that i don't like to talk or have conversations i love talking with people but they have to also reach a certain amount of depth um right like i i don't get enjoyment out of talking just about really sort of kind of surface level things mm-hmm. you maybe have gathered that about this podcast <laughs> um and so but if you have someone in your life who uh, if you're open and honest about that, where you're coming from, they should really kind of respect that and honor that. Um, and if it's not something that they can fly with, then they'll learn that you, you know, you're not that person that they need to kind of fulfill those aspects of their life. And so maybe they'll take a hike, or maybe they they, they won't engage with you as much, and that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine for them to do that. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that before. Maybe we kind of bring this down to the race conversations. Uh, yeah, no, I think that, that's a good transition in a sense i i think um you know knowing who knowing who you are whether you're an introvert or an extrovert we brought up the enneagram in our last episode you know um you know or at least being curious about who you are gives you more data to work with when it's time to decide what your boundaries need to be and i've said this before this is the definition of boundaries. Boundaries are what is okay for you and what is not okay for you. Um, it's not my definition. It's Brene Brown's definition, but she's entirely right. And what I've added is this part is that whatever boundary you set, you have to be willing to accept the consequences of those boundaries um, and of holding to those boundaries, either positive or negative. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, as people, we are generally speaking, afraid of accepting those consequences because we think Mm. that it means disconnection. It means that we're not going to get what we want. It means that we're not going to have people in our lives that are going to meet those expectations, which if you want to get really deep on the, the, like on the whole, like emotional side of that and the psychology side of that is that ultimately we're trying to fight off lies all the time that tell us that we're not valuable and that we're not worthy Mm. all the time. And this fits in quite distinctively into the overall narrative on race and uh the conflict that we have and the uh with 
within people that look different from each other, but also people that are culturally different from each other. And oftentimes the culturally different people or the cultural differences are indicative of color differences. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, where we miss one another is sometimes in this defense of self. It is trying to meet an expectation within ourselves that affirms to us that we are valuable and that we are worthy. And especially when there's a system breakdown, um, a systemic problem that informs us that has informed a whole people group, you know, that they are not worth it and that they are not valuable. And then if you're in a today generation voice, then you have someone pushing back against that. And if you're a part of the majority, now there's another message, something else coming up in you, if you were white, that you also were not valuable and you were also, and everyone's sort of fending off, you know, these <laughs> sort of like this, like total defense of the dark art situation from Harry Potter, you know, of like, do not tell me that I am not worthy. Do not tell me that I'm not meeting your expectations. Do not tell me that because I will do everything I can to not feel that pain, the intrinsic pain of the fact that I might actually believe I'm not worthy and I'm not valuable. Yeah. Um, now imagine, that's how personally I do it. Now imagine corporately, um, collectively, group thinking that way. No wonder we're having cultural clashes around the conversation around race. Matt Chandler said something. He's a pastor at a church called the Village Church in North Texas, and uh, he was invited to kind of give a speech at the MLK 50, and he kind of alluded to this or spoke directly to this, and it's something that's kind of stuck in my head, and I haven't been able to get it out, and I think it was really good for me to hear, especially as we were leading up to prepare for this podcast. He said, get yourself around people who aren't like-minded. Get, surround yourself with, if you're white, surround yourself with you know, black brothers and sisters who can speak into your life and help you understand the story and the context. But don't find black brothers and sisters who agree with you because not everyone's going to agree on everything, 100%. Right. Yep. Um, and the danger in that is because then there could be, you know, the black brothers and sisters could be agreeing with you because they want to be accepted from you in the white community, in the white context, and could be seeking affirmation there. But he also said that, uh, you know, on the flip side, and actually, I don't know if he said this part, or maybe I just thought about it. But there's a real danger, too, in being white and speaking up about injustice. And not necessarily in speaking up against injustice, but because I think that there's truth there. And I think anytime you speak up about truth, there's not dangerous about, there's not dangerous about looking for affirmation. But, you know, if someone is trying too hard to be seen as woke, you know, a white person, because they want the applause from you know, black community or underrepresented communities, minorities, uh, there's a real danger there. So um, I think it's mirrored. And, and mm -hmm. I think that that's something I'm constantly having to watch and guard in myself and make sure that I'm not trying too hard. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I think that's a challenge, you know, for a lot of people if you're on the white side. But I think it's, um, that's what we need to do. And I'm, and I'll, and I'll take a super woke, is what I call them, sort of the hyper woke white person, you know, um, you know, who was trying you know, um, and then, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll, I, 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 I have just as many challenges with, with, with that kind of person as I do with someone who isn't engaged in the conversation at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, some of you all may have heard, you know, that Kanye West was at the White House this, this week, um, you know, and how much we adore Kanye, of course, um, and all of his, all of his complexity, you know, is another, form of wokeness going on in the world right now. Um, talk about a non-conforming person who, in a sense, um, by his own admission, um, has had an aha around um, Donald Trump 
as president of the United States, and in particular speaking to ways in which he ran a campaign and ways in which he um, you know, was able to connect with other people. And then Kanye was impressed by that and, um, and then went to the White House to basically tell him that and to be a part of this collegial relationship really between them, you know, and then of course they're going to put cameras on it and then Kanye's going to be all a mess. But I think, you know, when, when it comes to this, um, uh, like idea of non-conforming to expectations, Kanye is an incredible example of what it means to not be what your own group of people want you to be. And when he was saying that George Bush, if you guys remember during Hurricane Katrina, and he's doing a live telecast, you know, and he says that George Bush hates black people in the context, um, you know, of FEMA relief being allegedly slow or whatever to to um, the like Katrina um, people that were on roofs and surviving. He, um, the, con- the, the, the silly thing going on now is that it's the same party <laughs> different president um nearly the same values you know at least um being spoken right, you know right, at least yeah. being spoken out and um now kanye's like man donald trump is the dog you know what i mean yeah. and um everyone praised him when he was talking like a dog about um i say everyone i say like the hip-hop world was mm-hmm. praising kanye when he came out against george w bush in that yeah. way and the same person flipped script you know, and he's pro Donald Trump, and um, and for all and for all we know, a forever Trumper. I don't know because he's very committed right now. Kanye's is very committed, um, you know, and just um, but now these these same folks, you know, are, are are giving him crap and and almost to the point where his black identity is being questioned, yeah. and um, and uh, being seen as kind of a traitor or you know whatever you know to his own cause to his own people. I think it's really interesting, but what I think is very fascinating about the whole thing, Mark and I were talking about this, is that um, if you watch some of the footage of what's going on in the White House when Kanye is there, the cameras are on him. Um, we would expect that someone going to the White House would be dressed in a suit. You would um, fall in line with the expected decorum of that space, right? Expectations, Reverence right? Reverence office, yeah. Yeah. Instead, instead, watch it, everybody. If you haven't seen it yet, Kanye drops like F-bombs in the Oval Office on camera. And he's hugging on the president. He's touching him. No one's interrupting him. No one's like saying, get off me or anything like that. Um, No secret service. No one's getting involved. They give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants. He's non-conforming. And what he's caused is not not to to go along with with the expectation that he should conform to that space instead he's causing the space to conform to him he's causing the people that are in that space to conform to him to be compliant with him that is a lot of power a lot of influence and it's i i always i so i I just wonder where where does that come from how do people just abide by it and not like confront it because there are other more conforming people in the room than there are actually other non-conforming people, right? Mm-hmm. So the only other probably most powerful non-conforming person in the room is probably Donald Trump, yeah. who wants him there, and they're on the same team. Right. So why not? Let Kanye do whatever he wants, right? It's, I think it's great. It's a circus. 
and we don't want to get into like obviously there's conversations around the things that Kanye is saying and uh, yeah 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 we're not making a commentary on that at all but the idea the the idea of of conforming and then it's interesting because you know Kanye back in the whole Katrina thing when he was saying that about Bush and then when uh, another person who has kind of flipped the script recently Taylor Swift you know he got up and he took the mic from her and he said that uh, who was it? Beyonce deserved. Whatever Beyonce that deserved it. He sure yeah. did. Uh, it's interesting now that you have Kanye, who is non-conforming, and he's always been. He's always been well, non-conforming. He's always been non-conforming, but he's also saying things that were along the lines of like right. what people expect, definitely him, sure. based on who he is and yeah. who he looks like. But yeah. so now Taylor Swift is being non-conforming. And Brand, you mentioned this earlier when we were preparing for this. She's saying things now, speaking up and saying political things where she hasn't in the past, where right. she's been. Well, now now she is conforming because she was non-conforming when she wasn't using her right. her uh, status to speak about po- political things, which people wanted her to. They wanted this big woman artist yeah. to to speak and use her platform to speak mm-hmm. up about things in the world. So she was non-conforming that way, and now she is conforming to kind of what people are expecting, and she's being applauded for it. Mm-hmm. She spoke about how uh, she wanted she. Uh, she endorsed a Democratic candidate. She endorsed, yeah, a Democratic candidate in uh, Tennessee where she's going to be voting, which I thought was interesting. She didn't make broad, sweeping generalizations about you know people nationwide, but she spoke directly to someone who she would be voting for, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was interesting. So now she is conforming. She's being praised. Kanye is now not being praised. And I think in all that, uh, we have our expectations about these people. And we're not really seeking the truth in them. Like we're not really gauging necessarily the the content of their speech, as much as we are just like praise. Yeah. You know, praise Swift for speaking up and uh, boo Kanye. Yeah, and I would say even just the authenticity of, you know, say Taylor Swift speaking out versus Kanye West speaking out. I mean, you don't have to like Kanye, but you for darn sure know you're getting Kanye. You know, and Taylor Swift. From, you know, I think we've always sort of gotten her as she is, but then she does this, something that she's never done. And then she didn't actually, it's not actually embedded into her art, you know, her political philosophy or her political thought. Um, that's always been the case for Kanye. He's always been um, outspoken about things going on in the government or always been a shock jock of sorts, you know, always sort of doing the, um, or, or being the, um, the rabble rouser. And um, Taylor has done that in her own way, um, but she's been, uh, you know, a, a lyricist. You know, mm-hmm. she creates these um, fantastic lyrics, and she's never spoken out. In a sense, not even her lyrics, and even her songs have even hinted, mm-hmm. um, in a sense, anything about politics or about her engagement with politics at all. And so I just wonder, you know, though though she's being being applauded for 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 pushing in a certain direction, I don't think it does anything in terms of getting people to conform to her or getting people um, to be transformed by her authenticity. I think it's just her opinion now. And people are like, okay, great, you have an opinion. Maybe that'll turn around some votes in the midterm elections. Kanye West, on the other hand, for as many people that are despising him, I bet you there there are so many more people that he is gaining in terms of a fan base that he didn't have before. And those people are definitely going to the polls and probably in a direction that people don't want him to. And I, I think that's fascinating. And, and the reason why is because he's, he's transforming people because of his nonconformity, because of his boldness, because of his, I'm doing quotes with my hands here, I don't know if Kanye is securing himself more than he is just, you know, 
self-absorbed, <laughs> but it does come across, you know, as this self-confidence that makes you feel like, okay, well, yeah, Kanye, sure, I, I can identify with what you're saying. I don't feel confidence from Taylor Swift and her decision to endorse a Democratic candidate in a way that makes me feel like I should endorse or vote for that candidate at all. Mm-hmm. That's not. It doesn't mean she doesn't believe in it. It just means that's just not her wheelhouse, yeah. at least not yet. Unless she does. Now, if she comes out, she spends another few years being a little more outspoken, and that's what she wants to do, you know. And um, and she's actually, you know, I don't know, has some amount of eloquence around the, the subject matter of those types of people or, or politics or whatever. Then that's a different story. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a really interesting concept, you know, and I and I, and I think, um, you know, uh, like especially as it relates to this larger narrative on race, uh, guys, I, you know, I'm a, you know, all the expectations, you know, that we can have of each other are deadly <laughs> in a sense, you know, um, I, I think... Uh, you know, to, to not beat the dead horse on Kanye too much here, um, but he is a part of a people group. He is a brown person who has thoughts and feelings about race in America, who has historically attempted to confront what white people think about black people, to change the narrative. For good or for bad and i think that the idea of that is good you know that there um and, and and that is to say that there are things that white people think of black people and you have expectations based upon what those thoughts are there are things that black people and brown people think of white people um we have expectations right um some examples um um a white person may really expect or white people I don't say a white person but white people as a generalization may expect that black people um, as as a group um, are not very intelligent mm-hmm. right that is a belief but there's an expectation in that as well when it comes to interacting with a group of black people that you will never be as smart as me right like that you just don't like you're just not smart right um, or you're not beautiful or you're not something enough right on the flip side of that, um, black and brown people may think, well, white people are just the man and they're all powerful and they're just taking away from us, taking our music, taking our food, you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, I mean, um, those are beliefs, but the expectation is that I could never, right? Like be with someone who is like that can never, like no one can meet my expectations for a healthy relationship if they are not smart enough. No one can meet my expectations for a relationship if they're not kind enough, Right. And so then we base our interactions with each other with a level of suspicion because we don't believe that the other party is going to live up to our, ex- to, to our expectations. And the fact of the matter is that we're misguided, you know, on uh, one, what those expectations are, two, um, that we're entitled to anything, and, um, and three, um, you know, I, I guess just that, that, that we need to get in line in a really balanced way in a conversation with one another um, at a micro level, honestly, um, in order to unpack what those expectations are so that we can demystify them, um, and actually get in line with who we really are, you know, to each other. So, and there's a whole bunch of research out there and studies, especially in the workplace, the show that our expectations of people, people live up to our expectations. And so, especially if you are in a position of power, the people that you are in position of power over 
will definitely live up to their expectations. And you can see that in family dynamics. You know, if you have a child who, um, you know, your expectations of them are to become a doctor, you know, if you yourself are a doctor or you see uh, moms, for example, who want to live vicariously through their children. So they're pushing them to do things that maybe they didn't themselves achieve, um, you know, in, in whatever that pursuit might be, a hobby might be. For some reason, I'm thinking of like, ice skating like i don't know maybe there's a story of like one of the, the ice skaters who like <laughs> was really pushed to, to do th some of those things or baseball players sure. right like we always see these people trying to live up to their expectations and when they're vaulted expectations we see that as noble uh but then there can also be expectations like oh you'll never amount to anything uh you're stupid or you're unathletic and people live up to that and so if that's your expectations if you're a boss of your employee then you get there, you're going to reap what you've sown and you've sown um, expectations of uh, discord or um, or weakness or uh, or just incompetence. And so people will grow into that and that's what they, they will step into. So if your expectations, especially if you're in a normative group and you're a straight white male or if you you know we've talked about whiteness how it's a construct in normative society normative america if our expectations are for generations of black people is that they are as brandon said not unintelligent uh, or that they don't have the capacity to be educated and go to school uh if they can't get off the government welfare you know then if that's our expectations of them then of course, then generationally, those things are mm. what's going to be continued to be uh, produced over and over again. And so we have to, as you said, tra uh, transform and not conform uh, and provide a space where that transformation can occur by thinking differently about our expectations. Because why, why do we have those expectations in the first place? Yeah, well, and I'll tell you that some of the other expectations are, I, mean, I think you make a really good point, that if the expectation um, generationally is that, you know, black people are lazy and, um, and that welfare is just a, a system that's keeping things in place and just keeping the status quo, the status quo, then if you were in a position to invest, you won't because you don't actually believe that your investment's going to turn around anything different. Um, because it's the person that you have the, the issue with. It's, 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 it's the, the type of person that you think that person is, you know, lazy and whatnot, um, totally based on the color of their skin, perhaps, or the community that they're the community that they're in, um, that that they've grown up in, you won't actually give up yourself to put in um, for a change. You won't invest of yourself as a part of the majority to change the situation. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is that, um, you know, another expectation. Then, well, it sounds like this: there are other black people that have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, how come you can't do it, right? right? So here again, what does that leave the other person or, or the people on the other side of that conversation doing? Nothing, mm -hmm. right? You don't invest anything. You're not considering equity. You don't have to because the belief there is that, hey, like we expect you to either rise above it or you won't. Mm -hmm. You'll be the exception to the rule. You won't be lazy. Either way, it leaves black, black and brown people out there to fend for themselves without like considering not only the generational trauma that we've talked about, but the, the, um, the construct of whiteness and the privilege of whiteness that lets you make that decision in the first place that you're not going to invest. Um, if you're black or brown in a lot of communities, you don't have anything to invest, period. 
you don't have anything to invest into your future. Um, if there's an unintelligence issue, it's not intelligence, it's the access to education. It's not intelligence that's the problem any more than it's a problem with anyone that is white. You know, um, if intelligence um, sort of on a testing scale is determined by color and not determined by genetics or biology um, or opportunity, you know, then, um, you know, then, you know, then we've got another situation going on when it comes to the expectations anyway. But um, I mean, personally, I'm, I, I know I've, I've, I've made this comment earlier today about um, the, the like complexity of being black and having to conform. I'm an educated black person, conservative politically for the most part with a brain is, is what I say, conservative with a brain. Mm -hmm. I can think for myself. Thank you very much. And, um, uh, but in order to be in certain places, in order to have done some of the things that I've done in life, in my career, and in relationships, I have had to conform. And I oftentimes will hear white people say, or, or, like, to me, oh, well, you're not, well, you're different. You're, you're not like the other black people, you know? Um, so the expectations of me are different. See, people expect me to be able to rise above it because, you know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I'm different, right? And so they don't, they're not even aware of how the construct of whiteness is still impacting me because I've overcome it to a certain degree, right? Um, and somehow put me in this other category of being black but not as black, right, as other people. Um, so I've conformed to what the white folks want, <laughs> or what you think you want, which is uh, just to sort of quell the insecurity that you have to actually take responsibility on some level. Um, well, you don't have to. Here again, it's that word should or should or should not. You, you can take upon you, yourself some, some global um, kind of responsibility for human dignity of people, regardless of their color, mm. uh, with understanding at a data level sort of what the generational implications have been for, for slavery and things like that. So mm. um, anyway, just super fascinating to just consider as a part of the narrative of, you know, where you see successful black people, it doesn't mean that they are not still impacted mm. you know by the by the constructs or by the systems and that those expectations are still applied to us to overcome in a different way even to overcome more and i pray all the time lord just don't let any systems you know keep me from any opportunity that you have for me you know like I, the fact that i even have to consider that right. you know um and on the flip side of that now i'm talking um is that my expectation is that the systems do hold me back yeah you know yeah that's and that makes me think of a uh, a profile I, I read in the New York Times this week about Bradley Cooper related to his uh, directorial debut with A Star Is Born, and I'm almost more I'm like obsessed with that profile. There was just so much in that profile. It was well written um, because one of the elements of it was that Bradley Cooper I guess has a thing against the uh, celebrity celebrity industrial or the celebrity uh, maybe I'm saying that right celebrity industrial complex. Does that sound right? Sure. Uh, and how we have these perceptions of celebrities as people, uh, and um, and we think that we know them because they go out and they do an interview and they answer some questions about like what kind of food that they like or what inspired them to make a movie. And one of the things that he said in there that was really striking is we don't know how to look at people. Uh, people are multifaceted and very complex, but we like to look at them and kind of pigeonhole them into whatever it is that we see in front of us. So when he experienced a certain amount of success with The Hangover, what people wanted to do was they wanted to start typecasting him in some of those roles. Uh, and then he also had ambitions for directing and people were like, Oh no, you know, you should kind of stick to, to acting. And 
one of the things that he said in the interview that was really striking was just like, who are other people to make these judgments about who I am or who other people should be? Uh, and he said that he thinks that that's hugely shameful because he had these, these desires and the ability, clearly, uh, I saw Star is Born really well done and people are saying the same. He had this ability to do that, but people were like, oh, no, maybe you kind of stick to acting uh, until he just pushed and he pushed and he pushed until he got in front of the right people who bought into it and believed in him. Uh, but that came out of people's believing in him, came out of a certain amount of authenticity and mm -hmm. a belief in himself. And he wasn't living outside of his means because clearly he could do it, right? Like, I think maybe some reason we do typecast people is because so many people say, oh, I have these dreams, I have these ambitions, but they have no way of accessing them uh, because they kind of are living outside of their means. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can kind of see how we can kind of get into a mode where we typecast people based on our experiences. But I think that we should push beyond that surface and push beyond just what our initial gut reaction is to people when they're unpacking their ambitions and their dreams and say, look at the whole person and, and the contradictions that exist in them and the complexities. And, uh, and I think that that thought would be a whole lot to be feeling. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of coming up on time, so maybe we'll unload some calls to action for you. Um, some questions that we want you to answer for yourself are, where in your life are you conforming? Uh, are you being true to who you are? Um, and and I think one way to kind of gauge that is, are you doing something and then you have kind of a tinge of anxiety about it and you might not even recognize it as you're being inauthentic or not true to who you are, but uh, I would say move toward peace and if you have peace about something and if you're continually, you know, uh, being compliant or forfeiting something that you want because you're trying to go along with it i think that that would be a good indicator that uh maybe you are conforming instead of transforming or negotiating so to speak yeah sure i i think that the um the other component of that of course um you know is you know as i said before you know we give away a lot of ourselves or we can give away a lot of ourselves a way of our a lot of our authenticity a lot of our vulnerability in order to conform to other people's expectations um we give away so much of ourselves that we you know don't actually like we just don't confront or we feel the insecurity in our in our identity and where we're loved or not feeling loved or not not feeling as though we belong um so it's just really important you know to enter into a dialogue with curiosity and curiosity with oneself to say why am i giving myself away why am i giving so much of myself away to another person who isn't giving something to me and um have i negotiated those expectations with someone in a way that retains my human value my human dignity um and if i haven't then maybe i should um sort of start to confront some of the dark side of feeling lonely um the fear of rejection all of that and i think um another you know, thing to look at is, especially as it relates to our overall narrative on race, is where are we imposing expectations on other people? Where are you imposing expectations on other people, groups, other communities? And I'll be honest, I mean, I, I think that everyone does this to a, to, to a, a certain degree, um, if not to an extreme degree. And I think we play off these things in media or in movies 
Um, and sometimes that can be really healthy if we're poking fun at certain things or exposing them. Um, the movie Get Out is playing on the stereotypes all the time and playing on what we like expect is also playing what we don't on, on, what, on what we don't expect. Um, you know, this is a you know the main character is a is a he's an educated black man um, in college dating a white woman. You know, and there are things about that that we just don't like. You know, um, there are things about that that make us feel very uncomfortable. And, um, and being able to confront, you know, or at least ask questions, you know, where, where does that imposition come from? Why are we putting that? Just like Bradley Cooper said, you know, why, who, who, who are we, you know, to put these stipulations on other people and how they should live their lives? Um, who, who are we to not be open to the fact that we actually have expectations um, on ourselves? We have expectations on our expectations. We have expectations that we should expect you know, to be hardline around certain things or to be politically one kind of way or another way. And that and then that list goes on. Um, but I think we also feel like we have to hold other people accountable, too. That's another kind of expectation, you know, thinking that sort of this pious, high and mighty kind of situation, you know, that we're going to look at one another and say, no, you are the evil one. And then the other party saying, no, you are the evil one. And we expect everyone to just somehow get along with that kind of perspective and and, and, I, and it's just not going to happen so I think that um, you know our call to action on, on on this point is is to consider you know that maybe your expectations of another group or another party are just wrong and unattainable and and if they are unattainable um, it's not because of the value or the or the uh, like capacity or the potential of that particular person, it could very well have to do with the systems. It could very well have to do with an, another type of assessment, um, data from another assessment that you have to get. You have to be curious about it, though. And if you're not, then you'll just stay where you're at, probably, and mm -hmm. continue to look at folks with a little bit of a side eye. Yeah. You know? You'll go to the KFC, but you don't like the mm -hmm. person serving it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I said it. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I think... That this was a really good conversation. Really excited about sharing this one. Uh, so much more I feel like we could talk about. Obviously, we're going to continue with the series. Uh, episode 10, I feel like, is a milestone for us. We've exceeded a certain amount of listeners. I don't know if I'm really un, you know, comfortable saying what the, the number of listeners is. But, That's not. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited about it. We have uh, continued to grow in our audience. Um, people continue to be thirsty and give, provide us feedback. And so we're just really excited. That, uh, that you're continuing to listen and be with us every week. And, uh, yeah, so we hope to, to continue this conversation indefinitely and into the future. And uh, that's our expectations for this mm -hmm. podcast. And in other really dark and dirty areas. Dark and dirty. We're going to be yeah. doing some real topics you won't like. So, anyway, yeah. keep them coming, y'all. Yeah. Keep listening. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.